0: Rogers, Business App Market brings together the right apps for your business and wraps it all up with Rogers' world-class support. Microsoft Office 365 makes it easy, whether you need to securely store and backup files, access or share documents in the cloud, collaborate with your team, or manage your business from anywhere and on any device. Plus, with support from Rogers, you'll get everything up and running quickly. To learn more, visit rogers.com forward slash business apps. Scotiabank understands that business is personal and your business has unique needs. That's why we offer flexible solutions for your business banking. Create your own business banking package that works for you by opening an account online in minutes with ease and start saving today. Visit scotiabank.com forward slash small business to get started.
1: Here to give you a first-hand glimpse into the future of Canadian business, it's Rivers Corbett on the Startup Canada podcast.
2: million entrepreneurs. If you are a regular show listener, welcome back. If you're new to the program, hey, don't forget to subscribe to the show on iTunes and Google Play Music and visit StartupCan.ca to connect with both your local startup community and to join Startup Canada to access training, resources, and a peer network to grow your success. I'm Rivers Corbett, and entrepreneurship is part of my DNA. Whether it's building my own companies or helping other entrepreneurs build theirs, this is my lane. Want to connect after the podcast? You can find me at www.meetrivers.com Welcome to the Startup Canada podcast show, ladies and gentlemen, it's Rivers Corbett. Uh, Wow, we got a great guest online today. We've got a little bit north of the central line of Canada. Just thrilled to introduce an entrepreneur who has built a tech startup in Pangnurotong, Nunavut, to empower Nunavut children and community in innovative ways. Ryan Oliver is a director of the first Canadian Arctic startup called Pengua. Pengua which is in uh, in Intuit, uh, language means play. In June 2013 they released a language version of the best-selling iPad Pit game in that particular language which is I am doing a hard, a hard time with it, but I want to respect it so I'm going to try Inuktitut language version of the best-selling iPad game Osmos. To do this, they engaged Intuit across the territory to complete a crowdsourced translation of the terms in the game. I'm sure Ryan will clarify exactly how the term pronunciation happens. A game designer himself, Ryan has been exploring ways to bring technologies to the northern region and integrate isolated communities into vital computer science skills. This is going to be a cool conversation. Currently, under his guidance, the Nunavut communities are closing the gap with the outside world and embracing the technology as a means to connect with the world. Today's podcast, we're going to talk to Ryan about what digital inclusion means for Canadians and more specifically for the Arctic communities. Ryan, welcome to the Startup Canada podcast show. Thank you. It's my pleasure to be here. So first of all, help me, my friend, give me the pronunciations that are correct. So our audience
1: uh, uh, is, is, (laughs) is, is in line as to how it should be said. Sure. Um, I guess kind of the key to anything in the Inuktitut language uh, is there are three core vowel sounds. So anything with a U is an U sound. Anything with an A is an A sound. Anything with an I is an E sound. So it's it's, Nunavut. It's Inuktitut is the language. Uh, One of the uh, what, what other words do we have? I think those are the two key. But it's uae uh, yeah. is the is the sounds that make up Inuktitut language. So anything uh, said in it uh, is engaged with those sounds.
2: Well, thank you, sir, very much for uh, for that clarification. Now, <laughs> before we started talking, you're from Lindsay, Ontario, which is near Peterborough. Uh, how did you end up focusing on Nunavik communities as part of uh, as, as part of Pingouin?
1: Yeah, so I grew up in Lindsay, Ontario, uh, and then in 2005, uh, moved to Akaluit, Nunavut, um, which is the capital of Nunavut. I had a friend who lived there. Uh, just I went without a job. Uh, you know, I uh, lived on his floor for a little while and and just sought out uh, opportunities and, and work there. At the time, I was 24 years old, so it was a good, good time to kind of uh, see a little more of Canada beyond um, the small farming community that I grew up in. And so from there, I ended up staying for Close to ten years. Nice. Uh, after a year in Akaluit, I moved to Pangertong Nunavut, where I stayed uh, for the rest of the time. You know, eventually bought a house, uh, raised my children uh, there, and um, once my son turned five, made the decision to come back here um, for a variety of reasons. But that's that's the basics. So I spent ten years there. Uh, came back in 2014, and uh, and you know continued to to uh, run the business that I had started while I was up there.
2: So, Pingwa, give us a story. You know, when I I talk to my guests, I always like to say, "What was the what was the coffee aha moment?" You say, "Oh my gosh, that's what I'm going to do, and I'm going to because I'm 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 committed to doing it." When you started
1: Pingwa, can you give us that journey, that initial six, sure. six months? Yeah, um, I think at the end of the day, it was it was my kids. Very. Um, it's uh, you know I, I worked for the government in Nunavut uh, for uh, the entire time I was in Nunavut, I was I was working with the government in Nunavut in a few different positions, but uh, primarily, I worked as a senior advisor for the cultural industries. And so that meant working with kind of one of the richest cultural bases in the entire country, uh, in terms of visual artists, uh, filmmakers, uh, storytellers, there's, there's an incredible amount of talents and incredible, uh, stories and artistic journeys happening in Nunavut that aren't happening anywhere else. Uh, at the same time, kind of where I grew up in Lindsay, we were very, very fortunate despite being a small town to have a really strong computer science program, um, and so a lot of my peers uh, who weren't bad at math the way I was, were able to kind of go on uh, once we all graduated and and their journeys took them out uh, West to work for some of the biggest video game companies and and around that and so uh, you know, those two things together started us having conversations and, mm. um, you know, the initial conversations that I had were spurred by the fact that as my kids grew up, um, and their friends came over and, uh, you know, would come over and play a bunch of video games at my place, uh, uh or we would, we would engage on those topics, you know, a lot of, a lot of, uh, A lot of children across the whole community, you know, had the exact same interests as my children and and at the end of the day, didn't have the same opportunities that I had had growing up. And so, um, you know, I I became aware immediately that uh, at nowhere in Nunavut was computer science taught at any point in high school. so that was really what started it. it was this idea that like, OK, like there's there's something, you know, I can leverage the friends I have uh, in in B.C. And in, in that are in the industry already. Uh, I can also leverage the storytellers and the artists that I know to work with them and to create something unique. And so I kind of was able to position myself in the middle there and, and, and bring, a, bring both sides together to be able to utilize the really high tech talent that we had, along with the incredible stories and artists that we had uh, in Nunavut. And and create something, and then from there it became became really about building the capacity in the territory and and uh, finding a way to offer that same opportunity uh, that I had and that my friends had had to people in Nunavut. How does the how does the uh, I mean ultimately within any business there has to be revenue generated. How does the revenue model work for you? Yeah, uh, it's it's twofold. I guess what's worth worth understanding is. Um, Uh, we operate as a, as a not-for-profit federally incorporated corporation. Mm -hmm. Um, we, uh, we also have a very close alliance with a, with a for-profit business. And that's the one, uh, you know, where my allies in BC are coming in. And so, uh, it's a balance of grants, um, as we've built capacity, as we've built, uh, um, you know, a a staff base and all that we have, we've been able to even use that staff base that we've been building to take on, um, things like marketing contracts and app development Uh, contracts. And, and so it's a bit of everything. There's, there's, um, you know, there's different elements of the business that are focused on different things. And so uh, my day to day at this point is really focused on uh, what we call the teach program, which is our program right. to build capacity in the territory to run computer science uh, programs across the territory. Um, and And so that is is largely grant funded. It's a lot of community support. We have partnerships uh, in private industry as well as with public companies. So um, that structures that side. At the same time, we're also developing apps for clients that require them. The reality is in Nunavut, there aren't app developers. Um, uh, and, and as we've kind of proven ourselves there, we've been able to expand that into kind of, oh, nice. uh, you know, marginalized groups that otherwise don't have the level of technology and technical experience that we can offer
2: that's brilliant man um uh, Ryan if you allow me to just segue a bit o- away from uh, Bo and talk about how because uh, because I, I, I see this a lot happening and I think there's a great opportunity for our listeners to really understand that that relationship between the nonprofit organization you set up and the for-profit um, how do they work together to ultimately deliver what it is that you want to deliver uh, one from a product offering but also from a
1: from a profitability perspective? Yeah, it's a. I mean, it's a very unique balance that um, requires a lot of transparency. And in a lot of ways, it requires mm-hmm. the for-profit to operate as a not-for-profit in terms of transparency or as like a publicly owned company would have to, just because, um, you know, I think what we have done, we set up a standing offer agreement um, that standing offer agreement comes in significantly under what market value would be, um, and and it, what it allows us to do is have kind of a consistent for-profit company um, with the extremely high level of technical skills on call at any time. But at the same time, the for-profit company can go and pursue its own uh, requirements in order to to meet budgetary needs. And so we've mm-hmm. been in, we've been doing this now for five years, and in five years, the for-profit has been able to grow and grow to the point now where we. Can can, we actually sometimes will will alternate staff between companies if we need oh, to. So, <laughs> sure. Yeah. So it's, you know, one of the best examples would be artists where um, we use artists a lot, obviously, in any type of development. And, um, you know, there is as much a need for those artists in the stuff that not-for-profit is doing as there is in the for-profit. And so... Um, you know, we we alternate kind of who's paying the bills, um, depending on what that person's working on, and and again, it's just about it's about transparency and it's about you know yeah. maintaining like that, uh, you know, like there's just maintaining publicly what is going on there, and and uh, it's a, it's a tricky balance that um, that we're still mastering, um, but it's so far it's it's worked really well to the benefit, I think, uh, particularly of the not for profit company, just to have. An extremely high level of technical skill that would, you know, otherwise these be extremely expensive to commission out all the time. Um, Yes. And well, at the same time, the for profit's been able to pursue stuff like we just did, uh, an ad for a beer company, and the for profit ad for the Montreal Canadiens and that type of stuff, and it's allowed. The for-profit is able to then also pursue kind of the front of the line technology and we're working a lot in VR and AR uh, to to explore that type of thing, which then can be incorporated into the not-for-profit as well. So it, it allows both companies to be a lot more flexible.
2: Yeah, I love it. Thanks for allowing me to uh, go down that rabbit hole because I think it's uh, you know I, I think obviously what you've done is you've looked at how to best uh, efficiently deliver the service uh, that's best for you and best for your clients too. So uh, so thank you for allowing us to do that. Um, the the other thing I love about what you talked about, which you know you talked about, we're always after grants and um, and uh, and government assistance and, and so on as part of your revenue model. But, and, and what's interesting was you're saying, I'm saying, well, that's no different than going after VC money, angel money. If you're a for-profit organization, it's just that you're looking for funding to keep your uh, keep your mission going. So uh, so thanks for allowing us to do that. Um, you're dealing in a, uh, you know, in, in language and how making an experience uh, that's available in your own language. How can that make the world more accessible? Because that was a pivotal point. That was a
1: key point in the intro. Can you talk on that? Yeah, I mean, I think I think this goes back to kind of the genesis of the company, too, Was um, I remember in particular having, have, um, you know, my house in Pang Tongue kind of became the hangout place for video games. I, uh, even before I was working in the industry, was obsessed with the medium and and uh, and owned quite a bit. And so we had a lot of kids that would just come over and play uh, PlayStation all day or something like that. Um, right. And. And what really struck me, I guess, is 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 kind of watching these kids play through a game like Uncharted, uh, and and recognizing like there's just no cultural connection there. But like at the same, it's the same, you know, it's the kind of the constant issue with with any anyone consuming Western media that is not kind of a straight 35 year old white man. It's you're very mm. rarely reflected in that media, right? And so, right. Um, I guess that's that's kind of where it started, and it and it started with language, and so. Um, you know, the very first project we ever worked on, as you mentioned in the intro, was the localization of a game called Osmos. Um, mm-hmm. And Osmos was the 2010 game of the year. Um, and I reached out to the guys who made that game and just said, like, you know, this this game's fantastic. Would you consider letting us uh, translate it into Inuktitut just to make it available for people? And kind of the idea there was just when people begin to see experiences in their own language, then they begin to see the, a role for themselves in the industry that that experience is coming from. And so, you know, I think most people in Nunavut have not considered the idea that they could get a work could get work in games, could get work in tech, because it's just not something that's in their day to day. And specifically, it's not something that has been in in Inuktitut and an experience that relates directly to uh, the culture of Nunavut and Inuit culture. And so that was the idea, like if we can put Osmos, which is you know, already one of the best games of all time, if we can bring it into Inuktitut language, then then maybe, you know, this kid one day opens up that game and has a great time playing it, but the whole time is experiencing in their language, starts to be able to have conversations about how uh. games are made and about how these things are made uh, and sees themselves in that industry. And so it's, it's kind of been a, you know, multifaceted thing. I think you need to get product uh, into into you know to reflect the culture that you want to appeal to but at the same time we need to build capacity there through training and so we're trying to do both at the same time and that will uh, you know ideally allow people just to to look at the Canadian video game market which is the third biggest in the world after the US and no Japan no way
2: is that great. Yeah, right? wow Canada,
1: Canada uh, they just released a report and I'm probably going to butcher the number but I think <laughs> it's worth three or four billion dollars a year to the GDP here um what? and you know it employs uh tens of thousands of people it's it's we have the best tax credit system in the world in this country for video games we have the you know comparable to the u.s and japan the best schools uh for computer science uh you know coming out of waterloo coming out of ryerson coming out of uh those i only know ontario really well so I'm, sure. <laughs> i apologize That's to the provinces. <laughs> hey but, yeah, man, like, you, even... you,
2: you heard me at the beginning of this conversation <laughs> so, <laughs> you're, you're you're doing fine.
1: <laughs> so, I mean, even, you know, Nova Scotia's really, really taken up uh, the tax credit game in particular, and Ubisoft has moved uh, quality assurance a studio there. Uh, Montreal is one of the biggest cities in the entire world uh, for video games. And I think, uh, you know, the reality is... Nunavut at the same time has a role to play in that. Nunavut has some of the most unique and incredible artists and storytellers uh, and musicians in the world. And to be able to, uh, you know, say to them, there's also a role for you in this massive industry. um, Then that, that's, that's kind of what we set up to do. And that's where I think it starts with providing experiences for those people in, in their own language and, and language can be more than the way you speak, but also kind of, you know, the language of the way you live your life. And, and that's, that's really what uh what that's about can you talk about
2: i mean your business uh being wise been in in business for around five years you said yeah that's that's accurate yeah, yeah so um can you talk about some of the stories that you you go to bed smiling about based on uh, what you guys are doing
1: yeah um I think I think probably the most rewarding thing that uh, that we do day to day is is the teach program, um, and so that's that's essentially it's a program we used to call Code Club, uh, but at the end of the day, what it is 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 it's a one week course that we go into a community and we just teach game design and computer science and um, what we're working on now uh, in the next in the next 15 months we're going to do this in 16 communities across Nunavut um, but one of the things we found when we started doing this outside of Pangnirtung, where I was living at the time was that as soon as we left the community all the knowledge left with us you know it's one thing to go in it's one thing to go in for a week and then just uh, and, and do this and everyone's super stoked for a week and then as soon as you leave it's like okay and we're taking everything with us and it's <laughs> kind, of, kind of the history of... Uh, kind of the what history I'm, of the l- I'm laughing part. about
2: is you, you provide all this candy to the kids, and it's like, okay, kids, you can't have it anymore. Well, yeah, well exactly,
1: a, right? Yeah, that's not fair. No, so, yeah, I love it. It's it's the, it's the very much the way, you know, kind of the colonial approach to the North has, yes. has worked. And so, uh, yes. you know, we'll, we'll, we, being, we being white people, we'll, we'll swoop <laughs> in and be like, here you go, and yeah. now we're going. Um, yeah. And so really what we're focused on for the next year is sustainability. And so we've, right. we've adjusted and kind of learned. And and so we are developing right now, uh, 100 lessons of curriculum that uh, will sit online and offline and, and allow uh, people to run their own camps. Once we're gone to continue their independent learning. Nice. But the idea, Eventually, hopefully like the school system takes this on too. We want to show that like we can make a really good curriculum that's accessible to a five-year-old that's accessible to a 15 year old. And that takes them through this like introduction to computer science, introduces them to a whole pile of tools and we give those tools for free. So part of that program through a a sponsorship, uh, through a program called computers for success, uh, Canada, which, uh, industry Canada runs through the government of Canada. We are able to bring laptops in to every single, uh, kid that comes and works with us. Um, they're refurbished federal laptops or provincially government laptops. We go in with them and and are able to provide them preloaded with all the software. Um, And so, you know, I think I guess to to kind of to your original question, that's, I think, has been one of the most satisfying elements of this is kind of this idea that, like, we're beginning to build um, a new way of approaching uh, education and curriculum development in in the territory. Um, You know, one story in particular the very first code club we ever ran. It was in 2013. Uh, we had a partnership on that one with Electronic Arts out of Burnaby, uh, one of the biggest video game companies in the world. They sent us a bunch of games. They sent us an employee to come up and help teach the class with me, but one of the things they did too is every single day we could uh, Skype in to a different person from the NHL franchise uh, yeah. that they work on and, cool. and just hear a different experience uh, about what it means to work in tech. And so We met a programmer, but programming is not for everybody, but tech, that's like one one, one. Fourth of what what tech development is right there's there you need project managers you need artists and and so when we got to the artist he was just showing off you know what it means to rebuild all of these arenas in in uh, Maya and in the 3D program that they used to develop and uh, one of the kids that was working with us I think she was 18 or 19 at the time was really interested in that she ended up uh, following up with that guy on on how he had done the art and where he went to school she ended up going to school at the same spot he had gone uh, we were able to. Create a scholarship for her to, to help support her, go to BC because we have an office in BC. Our staff there were able to work with her uh, now she's worked with us for the last three years as well. So, um, you know, kind of being able to take someone from, you know, that's, that's kind of a best case scenario that happened on our first try and it's not going to happen every time. But when you can do this course and, and really impact lives that way uh, and, and ultimately, you know, open and change career paths uh, or at least offer career paths that otherwise weren't being offered before, that's that's pretty satisfying.
2: Yeah, that's awesome. Well, it's – ultimately, uh, when I – Build businesses is about getting out of the way, and by uh, by yeah. focusing on the direction you are, you're, you're making impact by getting out of the way by putting the appropriate infrastructure in place. So uh, it's, it's kind of it's you know sometimes it's so obvious that you don't see it, and uh, and obviously fortunately you were you were able to, to see that and you're dealing with it. Can you talk about how you how you did your crowdsourcing? I, I'm also, I'm very intrigued with that whole area these days uh, with regards to you know the, the crowdsource translation of the terms in the game, blah yeah.
1: blah blah. Can you talk about that yeah so when we first started the company i guess like what's worth noting here is we we did not uh crowdsource funding for it what we ended up doing was crowdsourcing the actual translations of the first Uh, game we ever did osmos and so uh you know this is at the very start of the company uh me and a few friends had decided like okay let's do this uh and then immediately recognized we're not going to be able to like make an amazing game overnight. Uh, we need, but we want to get this thing rolling. Let's start translating existing amazing games and then allow, you know, allow that to begin to build the idea of it, which will then give us the time to actually build something of our own. Um, that said, like we were all working other jobs and, and doing this kind of as, as a hobby and for free. And so the <laughs> right. way we approached this, uh, was, um, was to uh, get a, a small contribution of $500 from the Nunavut Literacy Council. Mm-hmm. I kind of pitched them on the idea and they bought it. With that 500 bucks, I bought an iPad. Um, and then we created a database on a website that just had all of the terms from this game. had three hundred There's 315 kind of lines to be translated in this game. And then uh, basically put it out on all the Facebook uh, for every communities, all the Facebook pages. Uh, and, and just said like, Hey, log into this website, translate 10 terms from this game. Every time you do, your name goes in a draw and you can win this iPad. And Dude,
2: that's amazing!
1: Yeah. I love so- it. So we, we ended up getting the game translated four and a half times, like the entire, all 300 terms were translated, uh, four and a half times roughly is like what the average worked out to. Um, and then, and then we just sat through it and filtered out, you know, all the different dialects that come into play. Uh, Nunavut is, is a massive territory. There's only 33,000 people, but it's, you know, geography wise, if it was his own country, it'd be the eighth biggest country in the world. And And so there's a lot of dialects, there's a lot of uniqueness, you know, it's like the difference between like a Newfoundlander and an Ontario person and say someone from Alabama, like all those like range of dialects uh, and ways of speaking. And so... Um, we had to sort through and then kind of fine tune what translations work, and and then put them into the game from there. So that was the way we did it: is is just kind of invite everyone in uh, to to translate. We were able to offer a little award. Uh, someone in Pond Inlet, Nunavut, won it, if I remember correctly. And <laughs> nice. and uh, and yeah, the the game got translated more times than we expected. Uh, that is so cool. And it, will you use that in the future? Uh, it's hard to say. Like the the advantage of it is that it's, it's really neat. Like it's a really neat way to kind of bring everyone into the process throughout the whole territory. Uh, That said, the dialect range is so different. Um, You know, the Mm -hmm. way someone in a Kaluít change translates a word to the way someone in uh, Kuluktu translates a word. And those like geography wise, that's the difference between someone in like Montreal and someone in, in Edmonton, Uh, you know, but spread across, um, this, this one territory. So there are very different, there are big differences. And so it ultimately, you know, becomes, becomes a big challenge. I think the thing to recognize with the Inuktitut language is Inuktitut is an oral language. It's, it's never been a written language until missionaries came up and wanted a way to translate the Bible. And so in a lot of cases, the translation aspect of it is, you know, especially when we're doing a written, turning it into a written language is, is, we're, is being we're breaking new ground each time, especially with a lot of technical words, which which weren't included in the language before, and so um, it's it almost becomes more work <laughs> to to do it that way because then you're sorting through and, and having these conversations yeah. like okay like is this going to make sense with these word these other words if we are taking them from different dialects? That said, at the same time, Nunavut right now um, is creating a universal dialect, like kind of is is standardizing Inuktitut, I guess is the word, is the way to say it. Um, and and from there, then that consultation element would get taken out in that you'd you'd kind of want to go with the standardized inuktitut as that's going to be the, the future of the language You're as right. well. Right. Yeah. The singular. Cool. Um, I, I know our audience is going to want to know this.
2: And uh, just looking through my notes, pingwa means play in an in, in inuktitut. How did I do with that pronunciation?
1: Almost. Yeah. I think it's it's natural for like <laughs> an English speaker to say inuk because it's yeah. I and. It's. I yeah. guess that's where you remember. I sounds make e, and then u sounds make O sounds. So it's e, yeah, e nook, t yeah, toot. E toot toot.
2: Perfect. So it means play. I love. I love that reference point. And uh, and uh, so. Um, you, uh, you said. Uh, at least the scriptwriter said you said. <laughs> Let's get one thing out of the way first. It's not a market savvy idea. However, that doesn't mean it shouldn't be done. I love that reference point because I find that a lot of entrepreneurs feel that their idea has to be sexy. It has to be something that it just is embraced and celebrated in parades around the world. Uh, can you talk about? what that means to you, that,
1: that, uh, that
2: statement that yeah. you
1: said? I think, um, a couple of things it goes back to what you had said about kind of the comparison of, uh, you know, when you're seeking out grants, it's very similar to the process of seeking out venture capitalist funding. Um, you know, I started to think about this the the first few times I was invited to speak to a group of, of VCs. Um, and I just butchered it because like, (laughs) I eventually got to the point where I would stand up and be like, like, you're not going to make any money with this, but it's a really cool idea and it really means a lot. And, uh, And no one invested in us for some reason. Um, And so I think in in startup culture in particular, you know, there is a desire to like make that idea, sell it, get out, make your next idea, sell it, get out. Um, And it's, it's not... Uh it's not sustainable for the way you need to approach the north. It's not sustainable for the way I want to run a business. You know, I'd I would and I've had this conversation with my partners a number of times. It was just like, we would much rather be building a singular business for the next 40 years and fine-tuning yeah. the way it's run than um, you know make make something and leave in six months. Um you know, that's—I mean—that's easy for me to say, but you know, if someone came along and offered me millions of dollars, I might change my mind. But,
2: <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but
1: for now, that's not happening. So, <laughs> in the absence of anyone offering me that much money, that's yes. definitely what I do. But you know, so that's so that's it. The, the very first time I, you know, and this is with going back to Osmos again. When when we approached Osmos, and whenever we're translating a game, the way I approach it is like. You are not going to make more sales by translating this game into Inuktitut. There just is not the base. There's thirty-three thousand people across the territory. It's uh, it's one of the poorest territories in the world. So you, you know, just strictly from any eco- like a raw economic side, there just isn't a population to to buy your product enough to make this worth your while. Um, but it's worth it for all of the other reasons. And, and, you know, you know, we try and take as much burden as we can off of them by saying like, look, we, we have a programming team. We can even just input it into your game for you. You don't have to do anything. Just point us in the direction and we'll do everything. Um, because it's worth it. It's worth it for us. Cause it, it fulfills the mandate of the not-for-profit, which is to expose people to tech, to offer people in the North, the opportunity to work in tech. Um, and, and, you know, from a games perspective, we, Often, you know, the game, we probably translated about five or six games now. um, And it's always with, game companies and with game developers who want to build a more inclusive, uh, gaming and world, you know, so we're not probably going to get the big Ubisofts, uh, and, and electronic arts to play along with us. Cause there's just so much economics and there's shareholders to think about, but a lot of the independent games that are just, you know, as big and, and doing just as well, a lot of those developers are a lot more, um, kind of community minded and, mm-hmm. and it's not hard to kind of pitch them on the idea and, and for them to understand why that makes sense. And so it is a lot of work, um, and, and we try and, as much as possible, bring that work on to us and, and so that it's easy for the game developers themselves. I, uh, as you're talking about this, Ryan, what goes through my mind is the,
2: uh, I, I don't know if the title of the book, and I think it's Seth Godin who wrote it, but something something called The Long Tail, and hmm. references, you know, the, the iTunes um, um, focus on, you know what? The, you're going to get your A pop stars, your A rock stars, but then there's the localized people who can still sell online and still make a, uh, make some money off of using that platform. Um, have you ever thought of expanding beyond Nunavut to, I'm going to say Brazil and the minority <laughs> languages there, you know, to, to yeah. other places around the world, because you obviously created a, a practice, a best practice, a platform to be able to uh, to translate languages. This is not a new of it, exclusive only opportunity,
1: as I say. Yeah, um, we have, and we we have had those conversations um, uh, with with a bunch of partners. And uh, let me think of some examples. Like, so our, one of our first apps we ever did was called Singuistics, and it's is to teach uh, indigenous languages through song. Um, and so, kind of the idea being, songs get stuck in your head. You're singing songs all day, and one of the best ways to learn languages is by actually using the language. And so, if it's rolling around in your head all day, you're probably going to absorb more out of it. And it's not going to like be very strict lessons the way something like Duolingo would, but it is going to just expose you to the language, expose you to the culture. And so, we have we have had conversations uh, with other people to have, you know, to bring that into other languages uh, beyond indigenous languages, but into you know could do other minority languages um uh but you know at the end of the day i think as i said there's not like this huge market case for a lot of what we do and so uh uh, it requires kind of very close personal partnerships where we're we're all kind of finding a way to make this as easy as possible on each other and and uh uh so it's 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 different um you know, that's that said. You know, I think the advantage of having the not for the for profit uh, as well is that allows us to expand into other areas. Like I said right. before, to stay on the edge of technology. Right. Um, right. You know, from from a whatever the hottest new thing is, the for profit can find work in it and and keep our experience growing with that. So um, that's yeah, it's it's something we're constantly expanding for sure. How old are your kids? Uh, My son is eight years old and almost nine, and my daughter is six. And how do they describe to their friends what their dad does? Um, yeah, for the most part, it's just he makes video games. And yes. then, um, that's just kind of an easy thing. And then that's cool. And, You're the
2: coolest dad in the neighborhood. Well, that's and then,
1: You know, I think from there, though, it's like, well, what games has he made? It's like, oh, yes. you would you would never know any of them. So, <laughs> um, so um, that said, you know, I think even in Lindsay, for example, one of the things we've done with one of our, with a couple of ourselves, with our language learning software, as well as with uh, an art program that we have called Art Alive. Um, We've nice. worked with local community groups here to to put it into the school system. And so in this town in particular, a lot of kids have used our apps because the art gallery of the Kortha Lakes uses, uh, has, a, has a whole program now called Art Alive where they use our apps specifically. and. Um, and so they, they're a little more aware of what's going on. I try to, I try to bring the kids as much as I can to involve them with, you know, just even testing stuff and to, Uh to, Uh so they're both convinced at this point they're, they're going to follow in my footsteps. Um, Ah, so we'll see, we'll see how that goes.
2: Yeah, Yeah, but that's wonderful. I I hear that more and more about uh, entrepreneurs and embracing, bringing their, their children into their, their journey. I've got a buddy of mine. He runs a beer festival throughout the province of New Brunswick. There's about four or five of them. He's been bringing his son since day one like literally since uh, two years old. And the guy is, the kid is now just talking a language that, you know, most 30 year old entrepreneurs do not talk about. So it's brilliant. I want to talk a bit about your, uh, your sales process, you know, is it uh, because you just talked about the, the local art alive uh, um, initiative in, in Lindsay. How do you, how do you uh, source out opportunities for pingwa Um,
1: you know, it's interesting. I think in the last year, it has turned to people are like coming to us now, which is kind of that dream uh, zone to get to, right? Yeah. Um, and before, like when we first started, especially because in Nunavut, this is such a, a unique thing, um, you know, a lot of the conversations that we had to have with people were just like, like this is possible and and we can do it really good. Um, you know, this is not just kind of like a throwaway uh you know this is not just a throwaway like you're gonna get a crappy app that that in two weeks doesn't work. Um, you know this is this is like a company we're building to commit to this vision of how we see this. And so um, that's, you know that's that's where we want to take this. And as a result, you're you're gonna get some of the highest level skill producing this that you would be able to get anywhere. And so um, that's that's been a big part of it. And like I said, now now increasingly, kind of people are coming to us and and having those conversations with us. they're coming to us with ideas. You know at the same time, you know, we've we've done marketing projects with different marketing agents that now keep coming back to to pursue those projects. Um, and then from the grant side, there is a process, although increasingly less um, as we just get too busy, but where we can come up with ideas and then seek out funding for those ideas. Canada's, as a whole, Canada's really structured, especially for tech, to support yes. and embrace that. Things like the Canadian Media Fund uh, in Ontario, the Ontario Media Development Fund. Um, you know, there's all, there's all sorts of funds and tax credits and support for you to take risks that allow you to. Uh, allow you to fail without, you know, being homeless the next day. And so that's, uh, and, and, you know, and, and in our case support things that maybe aren't immediately market apparent, but we can kind of grow into those type of ideas. I love that you just referenced
2: um, that, you know, we can take risk without being homeless the next day. And uh, I think it, it, it really is true. I mean, in our, in our infrastructure of government of society, whatever you want to call it, we have a great safety net that's there that you will not be desolate on the streets if you happen to make the wrong decision.
1: And absolutely. I, yeah, yeah. I, I think, I think that's it, great, it fosters like fosters a culture of innovation. Um, uh-huh. You know, I think, I, I think you see it. You, you think I think about it a lot anyway right now, especially with what's happening in the U.S. Just um, just even something as simple as having healthcare, care, um, yes. which most of the world has. Um, but just you really kind of, I think, our proximity to the U.S., you really recognize the importance of that when you have kids and mm-hmm. when you... Want to start your own business, and you don't have to worry about that in between of like, oh my god, yeah, I just need to yeah. like lock something down with health insurance because, yeah. um, you know. So as a result, um, for me anyway, I'm able to just just try things, knowing worst case scenario we're going to be okay, and and I have I have the time to to uh, reallocate my priorities, um, and as a result, I've been able to take risks and 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 do things I don't think I would have ever done and otherwise.
2: What's um, what's what's one of your favorite books you uh, would recommend to our audience?
1: <laughs> um, yeah, good question. I don't know. I think I find um, uh, reading, and uh, I'm going to assume that this audience, like in terms of book recognition, is often going to get. Um, uh, Nonfiction recommendations on mm-hmm. highly effective habits. I find them, um, <laughs> yeah I find they do those they do exactly. <laughs> <Yeah. I laughs> mean, Richard Branson honest, I find, comes out right. <laughs> I find I find nonfiction books very difficult to read. Um, I I tend you know to absorb most of my business advice uh, and 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 that type of stuff just through through articles through online journalism through nice. long. Journalism, you know, I think I think you can you can learn a lot just from reading about other people's lived experiences. But beyond that, in terms of a specific book, um, you know, I think I get a lot of my inspiration just from the existence of Star Trek. And so, uh, read yeah. Star Trek books, the the future Star Trek proposes uh, is pretty admirable for a future that uh, that we could all achieve.
2: You know, when it's it's so interesting you say that, I, I've, I've consistently said that you look at everything that was in the Star Trek original series, it's all there except for that transporter. And that's, I'm sure, somewhere uh, along the lines is coming. It's just crazy how it's all there right now. And back then it was, <laughs> oh, wow. So I, I love that you've referenced that. I really do because <laughs> they, they push the edge in, 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 a, in a believable way also where you can
1: convict to ultimately saying, yeah, we can do that.
2: Yeah, Ryan, I this, in an sorry, aspirational way
1: too. Yeah, no, I was just yeah. gonna say just in an aspirational way. You know, I think as much as the technology is increasingly stuff like iPads, for example, and and that's yes. and it's um, yes. <laughs> Just the philosophy of Star Trek is is one that I think is aspirational in in yeah. uh, in in a, in a number of ways. But we can we can leave that there. Sorry, go ahead.
2: <laughs> yeah, you know, no, it's all good. I, and, and of course, the original the original Star Trek uh, Star Trek uh, captain, of course, was a Canadian. So uh, we can we can we can always rest our laurels on that one that we continue to to lead. Um, Ryan, this has been a great conversation. I uh, you know I'm 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 always there's some conversations that I have that. That I I kind of get a sense as to where the flow is going. Go. This one I didn't when I started with you, by the way, and it's because it's one because it's cultural, two it's language, it's gaming, and all kinds of different pieces have come together. But you have been a real joy to talk to, and and uh, and and have given us a lot of a lot of a lot of nuggets to chew on, business-wise, cultural-wise, uh, you know, family-wise, and so on. And I, I can't thank you enough for your time today. It's been a real real treat for me to have this conversation, and I know our audience will will get great benefit from it too. So thank you, sir, awesome. very much.
1: Oh, thank you. I appreciate it. All right. Have a great day. Thank you. You too.
2: leaving you with a sneak peek of next week's episode.
0: Hi, this is Vanessa Vicaria, the founder and director of inspiration at The Math Group, and you're listening to the Startup Canada podcast with Rivers Corbett.
2: When, when I hear about your conversation, of what you do with your uh, your facility, is is it's, it's, you you know I, my the word branding comes into my head. So, uh, do you uh, have you have did you formulate a structured branding mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. model, or did you just say I know what I don't want, so I'm going to do the exact opposite? So,
0: yeah. So for branding, I I really did craft a brand actually. So I crafted a brand. Based on what you kind of said, what I wanted and what I didn't want. So I wanted something totally different from what any other educational institution has. So if you look at my logo or my website or my like any of my social accounts, they're completely yes. different from any other. First of all, I don't think most tutoring centers have Instagram <laughs> accounts, but I mean, like that's <laughs> problematic again. Isn't that great though? It's amazing for me. You
2: were living <laughs> what you promised to to offer. That's brilliant. Totally.
0: So, yeah, I mean, the branding strategy is pretty well thought out. It's not just like an ad hoc thrown Uh together. So I thought about it all in the beginning. And I like to remain very brand consistent. Again, to me, we are dealing with consumers. And I don't think we Uh think about education that way. And we really need to start thinking Uh about it that way. We put no effort into marketing and branding when it comes to education. Yet again, Uh our target market is teenagers. And they care about branding more than anybody so
2: yeah yeah wow
0: again like you you think about like i just find it so fascinating that like you go to schools and you see their like and i'm saying this in air quotes promotional efforts where they have those Mm. ads that are like (laughs) math matters you need to stay in school and you're like oh my god who is there a marketing department behind this answer is obviously no and like who Who are you trying to target <laughs> sometimes yes by the way
1: it is <laughs>
2: it's, it's true sometimes you put these marketing people who think they're marketing people and that's what they, they they forget they listen to what the what the internal politics wants and not necessarily what the consumer wants and that's why i love this messaging we're talking about go. branding focus on the customer yeah. uh that's what it's all about and uh, i don't care if it's education i don't care if it's digging ditches it doesn't matter well, you said it perfectly. it's the customer
0: that's it. they, it's the education seems to be all about politics and not about product or delivery of service Uh Uh which is so strange to me like again like I'm really focused on consumerism and business it's just I'm fascinated by it I'm fascinated by the psychology of it and I'm fascinated by why it's been so neglected in the education sector